I grew up in an old two-story, actually like a two-and-a-half-story house that, like most old houses, had lots of really cool old nooks and crannies that made great hiding places when I was a kid. My parents' room was located on the highest level. It was up another extra half flight of stairs above the second floor, and it was right next to the attic. And their closet was a little walk-in, small, tucked under the slope of the eaves. The wooden rods where the clothes hung were set low to the floor, concealing the small space behind the tightly compressed fabric. During games of hide and seek, it was a favorite hiding place. It was also the place my brother and I would sneak off to when we were sure that we were in trouble and we needed to lie low for a while. I remember the squeak of the door, the dust in the air, the sound of the hangers scraping on the bar as we snuck between the shirts and parted the clothes and I could feel my dad's stark shirts against my face and the roughness of the unfinished boards on the floor and the gentle sound of the wind and the rafters as we crouched with our backs against the wall, huddled up, knees pulled to our chins, holding our breath, listening. Perhaps it's a, a universal memory, not at that particular place, but the memory of hiding of retreating, of needing to escape. That's what Elijah is doing right now. He's running away. He's trying to escape. It's a bit out of character for Elijah, for the man who, as one commentator, describes him as a bona fide larger-than-life hero. I mean, Elijah's life has been full of God's miracles. He was once sustained by a little cruet of oil and a small jar of grain that shared by a starving widow during a drought. And he's seen a boy raised from death to new life by the power of God's word. And most recently, he's seen God's power manifested in a duel that he just had a few days ago with 450 of Queen Jezebel's prophets. After slaughtering a bull and placing it on a pile of lumber in a pit, 450 prophets of Baal, of Baal, they say, uh, went first. There was a, a kind of a showdown, a duel. It was, it was Elijah against the prophets of Baal that were on the payroll of Queen Jezebel. And so the prophets of Baal got to go first home court advantage or something. And they got to call on their God, Baal, all day long and nothing happened. God, the God failed to show up. So then Elijah upped the ante and he said, tell you what, dig a moat around the altar and fill it with water and then pour water all on top of the sacrifice bowl and all the lumber. And he said, until the ditch is full. And then Elijah, unlike the others who had danced around, you know, waving tambourines and sticks in the air and calling on Baal, Elijah had just stood there very quietly and prayed to God and asked that the Lord of Israel would send down fire from heaven. And immediately the sacrifice, including all of the wood and the water, were consumed by a bolt of lightning. So far, so good. But then Elijah had gotten carried away. 
He got carried away by his success. And in the power and the glory of that moment, he did something that God had not told him to do. Elijah ordered the Israelite spectators who had watched the showdown to slaughter the 450 prophets of all so that they were killed. Now, I don't know what Elijah thought was going to happen after he did that. I, I really don't. Perhaps he thought Jezebel would just suddenly recognize the error of her ways and fall on her knees and declare allegiance to the one true God of the people of Israel, but it didn't work out that way. No, Queen Jezebel, in a rage, called on assassins and gave them orders to kill Elijah. So Elijah runs south. He runs south out of the northern kingdom of Israel, where King Ahab and Queen Jezebel have their rule, and crosses the Mason-Dixon line, where he continues heading south through the kingdom of Judah until he comes to Beersheba, which is a dusty town like Brownsville on the Texas-Mexico border. And there, Elijah leaves his assistant and heads further south into the wilderness, into the desert by himself, and there he collapses, exhausted and depressed. In the meager shade of a solitary broom tree, and there he cries out to the God, it's God and to the universe, it's too much, enough. I've had enough, Lord. Nothing I've done has worked. No one wants to hear from God anymore. I failed. I'm tired. Just let me die. I give up. Never feel that way? Like running away and hiding? Like just giving up? You ever ask yourself, what's the point? I give up, Lord. I just, I give up. You tell us to prophesy. You send us out to tell people about Jesus, but nobody's listening. You know, we're tired of trying to follow you. The world doesn't pause for Sunday mornings anymore. People are worn out from trying to hold on to their jobs and from caring for their parents and their neighbors and their children. You know, and the pandemic has broken our entire world apart and it's strangling our very lives and it's enough. It's just enough, I'm done. Just take my life. At the very least, just let me stay in bed, read the paper, watch the game, keep my head down. We tried your plan, God. It didn't work. And then God's angel, God's messenger, taps Elijah on the shoulder. Like a worried mother who comes to our bedside with a tray of hot soup, saying, now sit up. Eat something. When we're too tired to care, when we're too tired to notice what's going on, God sends us an angel, some kind soul with words of encouragement, somebody saying, get up, eat, you need your strength. Because the way is too much for you. And yes, we think the way is too much for us. It is. The way of Jesus, the way of discipleship, it's too much for us. And so we sit up and we drag our tired, weary bodies and souls to the table of the Lord. We eat and drink. 
Elijah ran another 40 days and 40 nights on that food. Kept running south until he reached Mount Horeb, God's mountain. It's the one that had Moses' cave. A place to hide away, to be still, to catch his breath, to listen, to pay attention. So he sat there in the cave in the dark, on the cold, rough floor with his back pressed against the wall, listening in the silence, alone. And the Lord came to him in a voice and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've done all I could. I've been zealous for you. But the people you, you sent me to have quit listening. They've turned their backs on the church. Torn down your altars. Silenced the voices of your prophets. I'm the last one left, God. And soon they're going to kill me too. Yeah, it's human to have limited perspective. It is. It's, it's human. But God sees beyond our limited perspective. God sees beyond to all those things that we cannot know or understand. So the voice answers Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain. For the Lord is going to pass by. Now, when the Lord has shown up in the past, it's usually been in the midst of an earthquake or a whirlwind or in clouds of fire and smoke. So Elijah could expect God to be in those things. But the wind came screaming by the mouth of the cave, hurling boulders, splitting rocks. Yet the Lord was not in the wind. And then the earth shook so violently that Elijah could hardly stand, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a raging fire so hot that it roared and scorched the rock where he was standing, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after all of that had passed, there came the sound of sheer Silence. In the King James, it says, a still small voice. In other places, a soft murmur or the whisper of a gentle breeze, like the complete calm that follows on the heels of a tornado. When we emerge from our hiding places, listening for the presence of God. And when Elijah heard that, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And the voice asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gave the same answer he gave before. He seems to be convinced that if God doesn't operate the way he expects, then God's plan isn't working at all. But maybe the point of the silence is that God's presence and activity are not always manifest in obvious displays of power, but rather in ways that are at first imperceptible. 
what are you doing here, Elijah? I suppose God asked the question because we tend to forget. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Are we hiding? Are we under the broom tree feeling tired and sorry for ourselves? Or are we at the entrance to the cave frustrated because God isn't coming to us with earth-shattering spectacles or because the mission didn't turn out to be as easy as we had hoped? You know, it happens. Even Elijah has moments where he wants to quit and hang the mantle up. The thing about hiding is we usually want to be found. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than hiding and waiting and waiting and listening and wondering if anybody is even looking for us. But it is God who searches us out like a shepherd who won't rest until every single lost sheep has been found. God comes no matter how far we run and no matter where we hide and slips into the quiet and asks us ever so gently, why are you here? What are you doing here? Why don't you come on out now? God comes to our lonely hiding places and calls us to come out and look at things anew, to step out and experience the presence and power of God, not in the ways we might expect, but in the seemingly insignificant, quiet ways, the time, at times almost imperceptible manifestations of God in the ordinary events of everyday life. God has chosen us for a reason. And God fills us with the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit so that we're equipped for God's transforming work. That is why God says, eat, drink. This is my life given for you. So we lift our weary heads, eat a little bread, take a sip from a cup. Go on your way, says the Lord. But but we protest, we don't know the way. We don't know the way. And Jesus says, you do know the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. Whoever has faith in me, though they die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And we have that faith. Even now, it is being written into our hearts. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God.